Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 218. Well, another great trip to a premier collegiate event. This time I was at Isleworth in Orlando, just up the street from me here in South Florida. First time there for me, actually. It's it's a really special place. Incredible golf course facility. Lots of pros live in there. I saw quite a few of them at the back of the range at Isleworth. See, See what I did there? Did I perhaps connect with someone at Isleworth that will be a future guest here on the podcast? Come on now. Come on now. You know I'm always trying to secure guests for the back of the range. As always, no announcement until the episode is fully recorded, but stay tuned. I uh, I think I got a good one coming your way. Congrats to Arizona State. They picked up the team title. It really does feel like they are separating themselves from the other top programs in the country. And with the national championship next spring at Greyhawk, they look like one of the strong favorites right now, but hey, long way to go. Congrats also to the University of Illinois. They made a big push at the end, but ultimately fell short of the team title. But Pearson Hunt did capture the individual title by one over former individual champion from UCF, Johnny Trevally. Again, as always, follow along on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All the links are in the show notes of this episode or on the website, thebackoftherange.com. I'm working on some new merch items for 2022, more tournament announcements. I have one more collegiate event here in October. I'll be heading up to North Carolina for the Williams Cup. That's UNC's new tournament. After that, I'll be here pumping out more episodes and prepping for 2022. Long overdue episode to release to you all today, but well worth the wait. When James Pyatt won the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont this past summer, he was told over and over again, your life is going to change. So I figured let's let things calm down a bit for him. Let's do a deeper dive on this episode and not just discuss their dramatic win over Austin Greaser in the final. James is a unique dude, doesn't take himself too seriously, plays with a bit of a chip at his shoulder, and enjoys himself a course light at the end of the day. He's your typical college kid, you know, that just happened to win the biggest amateur golf tournament in the world and will be teeing it up in a couple majors in the near future. So let's get this episode started. James, you're at the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and uh, looking forward to the opportunity to chat here. Uh, hey, man. Uh, it's been, uh, I, it feels like it's been like a, a lifetime since uh, since you won the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont. Um, gosh, it, really, it's only been about six, seven weeks, but it does feel like it's been ages. Um, I, I know you've received the question of uh, how special is it and what was the feeling like when the, when the final putt dropped and your answers have been, you know, obviously it's, it's been a dream. It's unexpected. I don't know how to feel. So, we're not even going to have to ask those questions. We're just going to go to something completely different. What's the most normal thing you've been able to do in the last six weeks that's actually brought you down to earth since winning the U.S. Amateur? Well, I tell you what, you know what it is playing in the college golf team atmosphere? Um, just having my teammates there back to reality where you're battling in and out of qualifying. That's uh, 
you know, the thought of qualifying and my teammates beating me always drives me. So, uh, actually I played, I played the two spot in a college event for the first time in about two, three years this past week. So, um, wow. that kind of gave me, a, that gave me a kick in the butt. Yeah. I mean, my teammates were playing great and, uh, motivated. So see that, that keeps me humble. It keeps me driven. So, um, definitely kept me hungry this past week. And, um, just trying to get back to, you know, top dog and being the guy. So uh, it's uh, it's awesome battling in the, the college team atmosphere, and I love it. That's got to be a nice setting, too, for your uh, for your college coaches. Uh, that's got to be a great teaching moment and, and lesson that everyone else on the team can learn from where uh, it's, it's a meritocracy. It's all about the results. It's all about, hey, you know, past achievements don't mean anything uh, moving forward. You need to perform. And I'm guessing, obviously, you don't want to be the, playing as a number two guy, but that's probably, in the grand scheme of things, something that's pretty big for the program. And, and not big, but it's pretty important to show uh, where things, how things operate at Michigan State. Absolutely, yeah. It just shows uh, we got a competitive team atmosphere, and obviously, you got to put the past in the past and keep working hard and stay driven. And that's been the goal for me since I won the U.S. Dam. Now it's time to get to a new level and. Uh, Obviously, big things coming in the spring, but the first goal is to uh, get some wins as a college organization right now. Well, we will talk about Michigan State. We'll talk a little bit about uh, just an incredible summer. I mean, uh, you know, great, great performance at the Western Am and obviously the win at the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont. But uh, I know that many of the questions you've been fielding have been about, uh, you know, your achievements. But let's talk a little bit about where things got started. Midwest guy in Canton, Michigan. How did you actually get into golf? Yeah, so my dad got me into golf. Uh, I was about four years old. I would just go out to the range with him, kind of watch him hit balls, and then I started hitting balls myself. And it was one of those things, as soon as I picked up a club, it was just like an instant addiction. That's how I call it. I mean, I just love the game, everything about it. Um, ever since I was young, I just remember wanting to play professional golf and um just had Division One golf aspirations since a young age, and um, that's always kept me driven. Uh, my childhood was kind of like, it felt like a sandlot to me, where all my buddies and uh, me would just go out to the golf course every day, and just like, we'd have a group of 12 of us, and we'd just go out and play, and uh, I remember starting off, we would just bet for golf balls on the putting green when we, you know, we didn't have any money or anything, so like, you'd have putting contests, and some days, you know, you'd lose every golf ball in your bag, so... Uh, I just the small things that got me going to the young kid, and uh, I was always the youngest guy in my group. And um, we had uh, my brother, two years older than me, also played golf at Michigan State. Yeah. So uh, it was uh, always a constant battle with him, and um, wanting to prove myself as a younger brother, as well as there's a couple other guys from the group that played Division One golf. Um, Henry Doe actually he played for North Carolina, so. Um, uh, there's some pretty big names that came out of just a small little public course, Fox Hills and Plymouth, Michigan. So it's um, it's been cool to think where I've come from, where I started. So we'll, we'll obviously hit on this later about where you've taken the trophy, but I'm guessing that's a place where if you bring the Havemeyer Trophy back to Fox Hills, you you realize very quickly how it's it's not just a singular achievement. It's something that you can show the club, show the, the other juniors at the club that, hey, this is attainable. Have you been able to go back to Fox Hills with the Havemeyer Trophy? I have. Um, it was one of the first places I actually went to as soon as I got home. And uh, 
they wasted no time on uh, letting people know it's where I practice. As soon as I drove in, it was like two days after they already had a big they had a big banner right there that said "Home of the USAM Champ James Pyatt." They oh, had boy. like the photos from the event. I'm like, wow, it's <laughs> that's pretty cool. So it was uh, amazing. The community. I mean, I go out there to hit balls, and now there's people walking up to me like saying congrats, wanting to chat for a little bit. So it's definitely been, uh, you know, you go from kind of a nobody you know just the michigan state college golfer they see the bag they think it's cool to now it's like that's the guy with the usam so it's uh definitely been different being around there and uh the local community since then but um yeah it's, it's awesome just uh you know having junior golfers come up to me saying you know i want to do what you did one day and um that's kind of one of the reasons why you play the game and you know to inspire others is uh some I didn't think I would be doing personally for a long time, but uh, now to actually have junior golfers coming up to me and saying, you know, it's the coolest thing ever watching you on TV. I want to do that one day. It's uh, it's a really great feeling. Yeah, it makes it makes it feel a little bit different. I mean, obviously, there's all the personal accolades and all the 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 great things that are going to come your way individually, but then when you see things like that, you're like, okay, this is much bigger than just me. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's. Anytime you can do anything to, you know, inspire others or help others, it's uh, a great feeling. And, you know, and at the end of the day, I thought it was just kind of about me and my family when I did that. But you don't realize it's, you know, the whole community involved, especially the state of Michigan, being the first one ever to win it from Michigan. It, uh, the amount of people have told me, you know, it's open doors for my son or, you know, anyone who's uh, young and playing golf. It's, um, it's the coolest feeling in the world. So you mentioned the Sandlot. Uh, can't skip over that. One of my most—that's one of my favorite movies of all time. So if I talk to some of the kids at Fox Hollow that you grew up with uh, on the putting green, uh, which character would they say you are closely resemble from the Sandlot? Oh man, I couldn't tell you because I was, like I said, I was a young guy, so I won't get any respect in the answers of who they say what character I am. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get the, you know, that he's the jet kind of thing. Yeah. I wouldn't get that at all. So. I recommend what's that? No, go I was gonna say if you had glasses you might be squints, but I don't I don't know if that's uh you that's, know that's probably what they'd call me. I hate to say it. Okay. I mean no glasses, but that's that's who they would throw uh they throw some shade on me. I hate to say it. They keep me humble and uh yeah, obviously as a young guy, you know, trying to prove himself with the old guys, it was uh cool mentality, kinda of shaped who I am a little bit, you know, just the underdog mentality all the time and um yeah, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting if you talk to one of those guys, to say the least. Well, speaking of those guys, I wanted to talk to you about high school before we start talking about Michigan State. The reason is is that you you and your team were the goats, apparently, in, uh, in, in Michigan State high school championships, winning three consecutive. And, you know, you, I mean, gosh, you know, four-time all-district, you basically, you know, won everything in, in high school golf and also picked up some AJGA and, and junior PGA championships. And uh, the reason I wanted to, to talk about this is because when, you know, I look on social media and I see a lot of your posts, there's a ton from, from high school. And it just looked like a just a band of brothers that had just more fun than they probably knew what to do with. When you look back and think about high school, and I mean, what was that environment like for you, and how did that kind of shape you as far as uh, you know playing team golf? That would obviously you would do at Michigan State, but it, that just looked like a lot of fun. Man, high school golf was a blast. Uh, I went to Detroit Catholic Central in Novi, Michigan. Um, 
it was an all guys high school, which, you know, I tell that to people and like, Oh, you went to high school with all dudes. I'm like, you know what? It was the greatest time of my life. I hate to say it. Um, it felt like you were just in a, almost like a big fraternity uh, yeah. to say the least, but, uh, it had to be disciplined at the same time. But, um, no, the high school golf scene in that group, I mean, it was phenomenal talent. Um, during my time there, we probably had my four years, six or seven of us go play division one golf and a handful of D2 golfers. So especially coming out of Michigan, that's, um, that's a pretty big deal. So, oh, yeah. um, I mean, just, uh, my teammate, Ben Smith, one of my best friends, he's, uh, he played the one guy at Georgia Tech a, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, having, you know, the one, two spot battle with the guy who's playing at Georgia Tech now is definitely, um, something that drove me and, uh, always having that to push me and, uh, every one of my teammates is my best friend. And it was, it was a blast, especially, you know, every week it didn't, uh, it felt like, we uh we were competing against each other more so in the field i mean it was like we want to beat our teammates because it felt like one of your teammates was going to be the one who won that event individually that week so it was like even though we won as a team i think we lost two times with our starting five the whole time i was there my whole <laughs> oh four my years God. yeah states my freshman year by a shot which was um that was a heartbreaker i lost it by a shot individually and as a team and i'll never forget that one but um that one in that district, I think sophomore and freshman year as well. But after that, sophomore year through senior year, we didn't lose an event that we had our whole starting five at. So it was um, it was pretty crazy to think. I mean, we had teams come out. The second best team in the state was the second best team by a mile too. It wasn't like um, right. it was, you know there was a yeah. bunch of teams at our ankles. It was like even the two seed was blowing everyone out of the water. So, like, they were even coming up to us and, like, yeah, we know you guys are going to beat us today. Let's just have some fun. So, it was pretty funny. They, uh, I remember my junior year, we were on the putting green getting ready for the state finals. And then one of the guys from Ghost Point, that was the team that was two, came up to me. He's like, we're just playing for second this week. Go have some fun out there. So wow. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, um, yeah, I mean, our. I think it was our four guy, one state. So they've Sean Knox played division one golf out of Oakland. So, I mean, when you're four spots winning states individually, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So it was uh, definitely a battle and, uh, you know, brotherhood growing with those guys the four years I was there at Catholic central. And, um, that's kind of one of those things that drove me is just, you know, wanting to be the top dog in that team and, uh, just keep that mentality. But it was, uh, awesome. A blast every week. And, uh, yeah, blessed to be uh, going through that program in the Michigan State. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I didn't have an idea that it was that dominant to the where the point were, to the point where the other teams were like, "Yay, congrats! Uh, go go and go enjoy yourself." <laughs> but uh, yeah, that had to be a very different uh, aspect. So you get so you get recruited to Michigan State, and by you know rolling off these accomplishments, you'd think that you'd have a lot of teams coming after you but I, I mean i know that your recruiting story you, you didn't have a lot of these d1 teams looking at you and uh, you know it's got to be very rewarding to to stay in state go to michigan state and then accomplish what you've accomplished being a you know academic all-american and and you know first team all-american just you know a lot or first big 10 first team big 10 and all these you know different things you've done um do you i mean how much do you think the recruiting process shaped your approach to collegiate golf knowing that you didn't get maybe the offers you were expecting how did that translate into your success i felt like uh, i was recruited by a decent amount of schools but it just seemed like they were giving me the uh, you 
you know, we're interested in you. We'll keep you on the kind of the reserve list. I mean, yeah, um, you're, you're some of the big schools. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember um, Auburn was kind of the main school I wanted to go to. And even if he has the coaches at State, he'll admit that. But um, a lot of schools are um, just, you know, they're interested. Um, one of the many guys they're looking at and um, had a lot of SEC schools, ACC schools show interest. And, um, you know, as a Northern guy, I was like, heck yeah, sign me up, get me out of the state. Um, but it was uh, one of those things where at Michigan State, I felt like, you know, uh, the coaches respected me for who I was and they, you know, they wanted me badly. So it was um, one of those things. Coach Lubon, Coach L showed up to every event, actually, my uh, sophomore, junior year summer. I remember everywhere I went, Coach Lumont or Coach Ellis would be there. I mean, I could be in, you know, Texas. They would show up. I'd be in Michigan at some local event that nobody would care to show up. They'd be there. So it was like seeing them every week was kind of cool as far as, you know, I was a Michigan fan growing up too. So, oh, wow. you know, you see Michigan State. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of story in that, that one, but we could talk about that if you want. But, oh, yeah. Um, I want to I know about what it was like for you to put put green on for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, uh, it was, you know, it wasn't too bad, but, uh, I'll tell you about that in a second here, but, okay. uh, no, the, the recruiting thing as far as that, yeah, it definitely felt like there was a lot of schools that were kind of interested, but Michigan State and some of the big time schools were highly interested. And I just felt like, you know, I want to be that guy to come from a Northern school and prove himself and, um, have an opportunity to start every, every event was a big thing for me too. Just knowing that, uh, I could get a good experience and then play in some of the best fields as Michigan state. We, uh, we're a division one school, obviously that, um, not too many people look at for golf. It, it's more football, basketball, and, um, it's, uh, it's been cool kind of getting that acknowledgement for golf now, but, um, we just, we still play an elite schedule. I mean, we're going to be at North Carolina's event in a few weeks, which is going to be one of the best fields in amateur golf. So it's, uh, it's definitely a spot for me that I've loved since I stepped foot on campus. And, uh, yeah, so back to being a, a Michigan fan. So we grew up just, uh, I mean, Camp Michigan's about 20 minutes outside of Ann Arbor. So grew up, uh, season ticket holders actually to U of M football games. So as a little kid, Grew up always out there wanting to, you know, see, uh, what's going on in Ann Arbor and being there for every game. I remember some of the coolest ones was, uh, the Notre Dame night game with Bernard Robinson where they scored one of the last plays of the game to win. So it's like, I still have all these Michigan memories. And, um, first time visiting state, I visited with my brother. He was, uh, a sophomore in high school. I was, uh, eighth grader. Kind of just pulled me along with them. Sure. Like, yeah, you can bring your family. So, uh, I remember I was there with uh, Andrew Walker. He was being recruited at the time. He was a freshman in high school, and uh, we were watching the game Michigan, Michigan State at, at uh, in East Lansing. So we were sitting there watching the game, and every time Michigan scored, we kind of looked at each other and gave each other like kind of a head nod. It actually, it was pretty funny because we were both Michigan fans at the time. But you know, you uh, obviously got to experience everything in the college recruiting process. So like, hey, we'll try it out. Michigan, Michigan State game at East Lansing. You know, we'll, sure. we'll look at the so it was one of those things first time on campus it was like uh you know i don't know if i want to go here i don't know if i'll allow myself to go to michigan state as a as a wolverine and uh <laughs> over time you know the more visits i went on and uh every time i went to michigan for a visit like bad things happened it was the weirdest thing ever like the first time going there i got a ticket the second time uh they got clobbered by ohio state 
the third time it was I was there for the trouble with the snap play uh, where you know Michigan State scored in the, the last seconds of the game right. and uh, you know the punting incident. So it was like all that stuff. I'm like holy crap! But um, no, it was just one of those things. Over time, Michigan State kind of grew at me, grew on me, and uh, having my brother there at uh, Michigan State was huge too because it's it's more of a, a local. Uh, program as far as Coach Levon tries his best to get the best Michigan guys first. That's his goal before he branches out to getting uh, other guys. So we got the best Michigan slash Midwest guys, and um, that's always been a goal of our program, bro, locally, and uh, he's done a phenomenal job. And just knowing, you know, kids I grew up playing against in high school golf are going there. They already are my good buddies, so you already get on the team, and you you already feel like a family because you know them so well. And um, having my brother there was was huge. I got I got to go up there visit him a couple weekends and uh, see what the East Lansing life was like. So it was uh, awesome advantage from that aspect uh, as far as coach getting me. So it was um, it kind of turned into a no brainer. I was like, you know what, this place isn't so bad after all. And it's kind of a mentality, and um, it grew on me and ended up being uh, the best decision of my life. Well, and and also, you know, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but it's not like all of these northern and midwest schools um uh, you stay there and and that's the only place you practice you're you're hitting you know it's not like i'm thinking about steve stricker you know hitting out of a heated uh hitting bay you know uh, out hitting balls into the snow obviously you get some rough weather up there in michigan but uh, i know that schools like uh, like michigan state obviously and Notre dame uh, a lot of schools have, uh, you know, great alum alums and and uh, supporters at some uh, some southern areas that you gotta get to shoot down to on the weekends for practicing. Uh, what is probably the best? What's the practice trip that you look forward to the most? You've been there for quite some time. Your fifth year senior, you know what I'm talking about. There are times when you guys you guys hop on a plane and go play someplace. If you want to make listeners of this podcast jealous about some place you get to tee it up, other than you know obviously Oakmont and, and other special places like that, but what's what's a what's a weekend trip that uh, that a lot of your friends will be like, man, that must be nice. Yeah, um, I mean we take uh, we take a lot of them, but the, my favorite one and everyone's favorite every year is we go to uh, San Francisco and um, we'll fly out there for four days. Uh, pretty much first weekend after getting back from break. So you're already pretty much coming back. Most of us hang out in Florida over, you know, when we're not in class and just spend a few weeks there, but we come back to school and it's like you see snow and you're like, all right, it's time to get out of here. So we, uh, <laughs> yeah, hop on a plane, go to San Francisco for the weekend and um, we'll play Olympic Club, Cal Club, oh, um, SF Club. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of top 100 exclusive clubs we'll play in that area. And um, we'll be there for the weekend and just get to experience, walk around San Francisco as well as playing golf. So we'll do a, a lot of cool stuff. And that's always kind of the, the biggest battle trip of the year because Coach usually takes five or six guys to it. So it's like you haven't played a qualifier in a while. So everyone's like, who's Coach taking? Who's Coach taking? Oh. So it's, uh, oh, it's, uh, yeah, there's a, uh, I mean, yeah, that one almost starts a fist fight every year over who's the last spot. So it's um, that one's always one of our favorites. And, uh, you know, having the connections that MSU has, it's um, it's everywhere we go, there's always a Spartan. So it's um, California is by far my favorite. And um, 
after that, it's, you know, anywhere down south is my favorite. As long as there's no snow, like I said, I love it. It doesn't matter if it's a public course, private course. I mean, as long as there's grass on the ground and it's, you know, it's above freezing temperatures. So as long as I can hit a ball, I'm good to go. Yeah, uh, that that sounds like a fun trip. Um, I I will have to dig in to see if I have any uh, really embarrassing photos from Oakmont to see if I can use that for leverage to uh, to kind of get on <laughs> one of those trips. But uh, um, before oh, we talk man. about Oakmont, you, you know, you one thing that I just noticed. I mean, well, not just noticed, but you actually had a, a hell of a twenty twenty one. Lots of top fives. Um, you know, lots of top fives in in your. Uh, you know, in your year playing collegiate events and then really kind of leading in just had a lot of, you know, really good finishes, you know, top five in uh, obviously the, you know, Michigan amateur and you had a top 10 of the Southern and, uh, you know, really just, you know, had some really great events, you know, won a collegiate event early in 2021 at the Hoosier. So a lot of great, you know, you're, you were trending as they say. And um, I wanted to talk about the Western. So obviously I was there, got to spend some time with you there. And, you know, one, actually one interesting fact is, uh, you know, this is the first time in 20 years that two sweet 16ers at the Western Am would go on to face each other in the final of that year's U.S. Amateur. So that had not happened. Both you and Austin Greaser were sweet 16ers. I asked Michael Theorbornson about the sweet 16 dinner at Glenview. Uh, he was, uh, he, he asked me why I didn't come in there and get some food for myself. And I was like, yeah, that's not how that works, dude. Um, what, what were your experiences from that dinner? Because I know that was a long two, three hour, uh, uh, you know, session there, but I know that it was full of a lot of interesting speeches and a lot of interesting moments. Talk to me a little bit about maybe just that dinner and your experience at the Western AM and how that kind of led into, what you were able to accomplish at the U.S. Amateur? Uh, I mean, the Western Am dinner was—it uh, was one of the coolest events ever. Yeah, as you said, it was—it was a long event. Um, they kind of warned us too when we got there. They go, "Oh, I feel bad for you guys." They go, "Feel bad for me? What do you mean? I'm in the Sweet 16. I should, you know, I'm pretty happy about this. Like, it's a long dinner coming ahead." So I'm like, "Oh boy!" But uh, <laughs> no, it was—it was awesome getting to sit with the Western Golf Association committee members and. Uh, Everyone in Glenview Club who made it happen. So it was a cool event in that aspect. And then they uh, did player introductions where they call you up and just uh, show you who you're playing against and uh, kind of read off the resume. So uh, I had Luke Potter. And, uh, <laughs> That's got to be yeah. really embarrassing. You're just standing up there like you're, like it's like a. I don't know, like a batch, like a bachelor auction or something. And now James Pyatt. James Pyatt is five foot something. I mean, like that's got to be weird. Yeah, they were just asking me, you know, a little bit about my resume and then how do you feel, you know, about making the Sweet 16 and um, they tell you about your opponent and they're like, what, you know, how do you feel? And I was like, I, I know I had the youngest guy, so he's like, I think he's 17, something like that. Yeah. They're asking me, like, how do you feel playing a 17-year-old? I'm like, you know, I'm aging that early. You can't factor that in in golf. I mean, only advantage I have on him is I can legally drink a beer. That's about oh it. Oh my but, god! Uh, did you really <laughs> say that in front of all those people? I did. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's um, yeah. That got some good laughs. So I think I won for joke of the night. But, okay. Um, yeah. Now the next day it was, uh, you know, he ended up getting me one up in the end down uh, down the stretch. But um, it was just a cool event as far as you know, getting a taste of uh, just elite amateur golf and uh, seeing hard work pay off. At that dinner, I just remember because I birdied. 
four of my last five goals to make match play actually by wow. a shot. So it was, um, it was already like when I made it there, you know, that was a big stepping stone for me to just prove that, uh, I'm at that elite level. That's what it felt like sitting at that dinner. It's like, I belong here now. It's, um, that's always kind of been a battle for me. I feel like mentally, it's just, I know I'm talented enough to do it. It's just getting my mind to say, all right, you know what? You should do it. You're good enough to beat these guys. And, um, that's uh, that's something I've been working on, and it's starting to pay off. Yeah, and that's something that you know. It's funny you mentioned that because that was actually something I really wanted to to kind of ask you about. You know, there's so many good players at a U.S. Amateur every single year, and I mean, you have you have two different golf courses that you have to learn. Um, you know, Longview was the was the kind of a you know stroke play companion course to Oakmont which that place felt like it was on a different planet with all the elevation changes. <laughs> I thought that was incredible. Uh, I mean, that's where all the good scores are being shot during stroke play. I, I'm guessing it was just kind of like, you know, make your hay over at Longview and then just kind of hold on for dear life at Oakmont and hopefully you're in the top 64. Yeah, it definitely felt like that. I mean, Oakmont, I just remember my mentality was like, I played at the first round with the best score of the day. The whole wave of 156 guys was even par. Yeah, or no, Parker. Going one, one under. One oh, it was? Okay. One under. Yeah. Yeah. So one under, but I remember shooting three over. I three putted like two of my last three holes and I was a little down on myself. And I, I looked at the scoreboard at the end of the day. I'm like, three over was the 16th best round of that day. I'm like, holy crap. That's that insane. is. I just remember every hole was just like, hold on for dear life. Don't make a double bogey. Don't do something stupid. So. Once I checked the thing, and I was like three over, you know, at the time, everyone played long view, so I was in like, you know, 90th place or something. And right. I was like, all right, we need a good one tomorrow. And uh, after checking the Oakmont scoreboard, I'm like, oh, we're right where we need to be. So the next day, uh, the rain softened it up, made Oakmont a lot easier for those guys. They got a good draw, but uh, long view, I mean, obviously kind of the same deal, but uh, it's more of a, you can get after it course, and there's way more wedges and um you know, a birdie didn't feel like a miracle out there at Oakmont. It was like I just I just made a birdie. That that felt like a double eagle kind right, of feeling. Right. So um, it was uh, definitely nice getting that draw Oakmont Longview, in my opinion, just to get you know, it's easier to in the beginning just hold on for dear life than when you got all the the pressure as far as the cut line and right. you got to play the closing stretch of the front or the back nine. So that was uh, awesome, just making it in the match play and uh, having the mentality, let's go from here. When when you say hold on for dear life and every hole is a potential disaster or double bogey waiting to happen, um, you know, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I want to hear it from you so that listeners can kind of understand that mentality because it's it's not unique to you. It's probably something every player at Oakmont said, oh, it's so difficult and, and this anything can happen and, and just every hole is just really a, just a torture chamber. What is it about yeah. Oakmont that made it that way are we talking about lines off the tee are we talking about wind firmness of the ground are we talking about the greens is it anything is it everything is it something specific what did you find you had to guard against the most with your game obviously you can't speak to other players but in your game in your instance what were you so cautious about at oakmont that would be a potential disaster for you I mean, like you said, it was everything. Um, and the fairways are <laughs> fairways are about 20 yards wide, so you got no room for misses. You hit in a bunker off the fairway, you're chipping out. That's pretty much an automatic bogey. And then 
after that, you know, if you avoid the bunkers and the fairway, congrats, you know, your work just started. So it's uh, the, the approach shots. I mean, just getting missing on the right side of the hole was the big factor all week. And even if you do that, yeah, you have an uphiller, but it, most putts broke three to four feet. So I remember, I mean, during the stroke play round, I hit a lot of shots 15, 20 feet, which normally in my mind, it's, all right, we're making it, or it's in the make zone, obviously. It, right. it turned into more of, we got to watch the speed on this one because, you know, you got to putt that snaps. It could go four or five feet by, and that's another putt that you might have to play outside the cup. So it's just, you're always on edge. You're always just, like I said, holding on as far as you try not to make mistakes that are unforced. That's the big thing out there. That's what I felt like. Obviously, in golf, it happens natural, but uh, – out there, there's really no part, no shot. You could just way back and relax and say, all right, this is an easy shot. I can, you know, even the shots where you hit irons off the tee, if you hit it a little off the heel of the iron, you might be in a bunker and punching out. So it's always, you got to be mentally locked in out there. And it was, uh, obviously the greens are, once you get there, it's no, uh, no cakewalk. So it was every shot, you're just on edge. You got to perform the highest level you can and, uh, not give away the, the simple ones. That's the big deal on those big courses. It's just holding on and uh, keeping away the stupid mistakes. Yeah. So you have these two courses you have to kind of learn as quickly as possible when you get on site. Um, that's that's a that's a very difficult task, especially you know with with how complex they are. Longview had tons of elevation changes, which look gorgeous on you know through the the lens of a camera. But trying to play them and learn them quickly—that's got to be tough. And then, then we throw in the rain, and yeah, we had multiple rain delays during stroke play, and you know that just complicates everything because now everything is softer and reacting differently. Now we got to learn about the wind, and and then of course you go to match play, and you know just as well as anyone else does, you could shoot five under and lose three and two. You can shoot five over and win two and one. So, you know, seeding doesn't matter. Number one seeds we're losing. In fact. Um, the number one seed at the USAM, US Women's Am, US Women's Mid Am, and US Mid Amateur this year all lost to the number sixty-four seed. Wow! So, that's, so, that's so, amazing. so seeding doesn't matter. So, all that being said, I know you got to be confident in your abilities. You have to think you can win. But with all that, do you really remember a point where, not that you said to yourself, "Hey, I'm going to win," because I don't think you know that that's not realistic, but. Do you remember a point during that week where you allowed yourself to say, hey, I can do this. Uh, I know that I'm around the best amateurs in the world. Uh, I, I know it's a it's a crapshoot with match play, and I could run into a buzzsaw, but but do you remember a point where you said, I, I, I'm ready. I can do this. I'd definitely say it was actually right after the first match. Okay. Um, John Cameron Smith, oh, uh, yeah. he was – yeah, heck of a player. I mean, he won his first college event, I believe. That he won at Merido, right? Yes, he did. Um, I was there. He won. Yeah, yeah. He started off hot. He's a great player, and um, it's one of those things in golf. You kind of know everyone, even if you haven't met him. So, uh, right. I already know who he was. You know, you get an Arizona State guy. You're like, oh man, I got to play one of the powerhouse school kids. So it was, um, it was a gritty match. We were both, we were both kind of on our our C game. That's how I describe it. You know, it wasn't great golf, wasn't horrible golf, and it was just a back and forth match. And um, I ended up winning one up on eighteen, just um, trying to hold on for dear life, like I say out there at Oakmont. But uh, I remember getting through that match, and they had the TV cameras out on us, and um, just battling and being such a great player. I'm like, you know what? If I can beat him, you know, you could keep it going. And uh, 
I knew the road wasn't going to be easy, obviously, especially in an event like this. It's just, uh, hope you don't get the guy who's hot right now. And, yeah. um, after that, I said, let's just, you know, let's keep going, take it one shot at a time with the mentality all week, not get too far ahead and think too far ahead. And, um, that was kind of when I was like, all right, you know, you're capable of this. I mean, the year before at Band of Dunes, I was the two seed and, uh, lost my second match, but winning that first match was a huge confidence booster because that was when, in my opinion, things really clicked in my head where, like, you know what, you are an elite player. You can do it. So just having that experience in the past rolling into this year was uh, it was huge after winning that first match against Cameron. I'm like, you know what, you got this. This is uh, this could be your time. Obviously, like I say in every interview, it's something you think you could do, you know, you might be able to do internally, but you don't really uh, think it's going to happen until you're holding that trophy. So it was, right. uh, it was an awesome week. So um, you you played some great players. You played your buddy Eddie Lyon the round of thirty two. I'm guessing that that had actually that probably was almost like a nice little break. Well, I wouldn't say break, but I mean an interesting level of just really a grind against Sisk, and then you're playing a buddy in the next round. That had to feel like a little bit of an emotional kind of a um, arrest. I guess is the best way. You kind of understand what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was cool. I mean, seeing his name up there, I'm like, oh man, I get to play Eddie. And, uh, if you know Eddie, anyone in the golf community, he's one of the biggest beauties in the community. He's awesome kid, <laughs> hilarious. So we were, uh, you know, obviously keeping it competitive, but at the same time, it was pretty light. And, um, I had what I call an out of body day against him. I, I believe I was seven under in the match against him. Like oh, I played like lights, lights out. Like it was, yeah, it was on track for Oakmont course record. If we were playing stroke play, it was that good. I remember I hold out a shot from the fairway. I flew one into the cup that hopped out to a foot. I hit a, a, a flag stick from 40 yards out of a bunker and went into a five feet. So there was uh, some good fortune on my side that match. And I was just striking it unreal. So it was like, Eddie was like, after the match hit in my head, he's like, holy crap, dude. I don't know what just happened. Like, he wasn't even, obviously, you know, you're a little upset losing, but he's like, I can't even be mad. You know, that was so impressive to watch. He's like, this is your week, man. So wow. it was, uh, yeah, it was cool, you know, from, you know, having one of your good buddies say that and uh, playing such a good match. And uh, that was uh, definitely a fun afternoon. That's really cool of him to say that. Uh, not not surprising whatsoever, by the way. Uh, Eddie is, yeah, Eddie's, Eddie's the best. Um, yeah, you ran through some really good players. I mean, Hutchison in the round of 16, he's, I mean, for anyone that knows, he's an incredible player at UC Davis. Sharpstein was a semifinalist at, at Bandon. You know, Gabrelsic, you know, first-team All-American at UNF. I mean, you really run through a, a, a gauntlet here, interestingly enough. The, the 18th hole against Sisk would be the last time you played the 18th hole the entire week, which I'm sure you're not feeling too bad about because um, that hole doesn't look – that hole's a nightmare. You get to um, – you know, you're, you're, you you win forward three against Gabrelsic to, to get into the to the final. Uh, I've always said – you know, it's nothing new, but I've said that that, that semifinal match at the U.S. Amateur has got to be one of the toughest and most stressful matches in amateur golf because of what is waiting on the other side of it. You know, you get to the finals of the U.S. Amateur, you are, you know, guaranteed a, a spot in the on the Masters, assuming uh, your status, uh, your amateur status remains the same, and you know you're you're guaranteed a spot in the U.S. Open, and all these great things that come your way. Um, you know, how did you know briefly? How did you kind of you know put those things out of your mind to really free yourself up and play some some great golf in that in that match? Uh, I mean, that match 
it was by far. I mean, the finals were nerve wracking, but that match, stepping onto that tee, and you know, in the back of your mind, you you know, it's that's pretty much uh, winner go home kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. You get you get everything or nothing. I mean, that's I don't want to call that match the finals, but it's almost like the finals. Like all you get is an exemption in the next year's event if you make it that far, and you know, you lose. So it's like. You know, it's uh, going into that match. I'm like, all right, you know, this is kind of the one you got to win. You got to show up 18 holes. And um, I remember just getting off to a little bit of a rocky start as far as swing-wise and wasn't hitting great shots, but um, just kind of pieced it together in my mind. Obviously, out of the gate, it was, you know, everyone's extremely nervous. And there was only two groups on the course. That's when all the spectators were really there. Of there course. was a, a thousand people. I mean, it was like, Actually, in the back of my head, they had no ropes out there. And people, so Travis Vick and uh, Austin Greaser were the group in front of us. So we we were kind of like waiting on spectators to move the whole day because they don't have ropes. And like, I remember the opening tee shot, as bad as it sounds, the thought in my head wasn't, you know, let's hit the fairway, let's not hit a spectator because they were that close to the fairway. So it was, um, that was a bit nerve wracking, but, uh, and just settling into it, it was, you know, the first four or five holes, it's just natural to have nerves and, you know, not playing in front of a crowd like that ever in my life as far as being from Michigan and not playing in uh, every, you know, huge event or whatever. But it uh, definitely was some overtime, you know, after getting off to a, a decent start or, like you said, a little rocky start, but still being in the match, I was like, you know what, we can do this. And um, Nick didn't have his best stuff that day. He uh, is putting, you know, he didn't uh, – he looked like he was just a little out of rhythm. So it was definitely as far as, you know, putting the pressure on me, it felt like I could kind of do whatever. I had freedom to mess up a little bit and still be in the match. So that was, from my perspective, that kind of kept things loose for me and um, just kept plugging away, playing my game, said one shot at a time. And having my assistant coach in the bag was actually huge because he kept things light. We were kind of just joking around, having a good time the whole week. And, uh, you know, obviously when it's time to hit the shot, you got to be in the zone. But, um, that was the biggest thing for me, having my assistant coach on the bag that match and just uh, keeping things light, not uh, thinking about the future is kind of the, the mentality in that moment for me, just staying in the moment, and uh, it paid off. Yeah, you mentioned Coach Dan Ellis. I definitely want – I'm glad you brought him up because I, I wanted to talk a little bit. You know, obviously, you know, it's it's great to have someone that knows you and knows your game to be on the bag during these, these, you know, big tournaments. And he served as your caddy all week. And, uh, as I said, tons of pictures of him that I'm going to leverage into a, a golf trip to the Olympic with you guys. So I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to say something really nice about him, but I'm not forgetting about that. So I don't want that to get <laughs> lost. Um, but you know, not only your assistant coach, but you know, he's a former academic all American in Michigan state. He was a captain of that golf team and has played in numerous USGA championships and he's a you know state he's a Michigan Golf Association player of the year I mean great playing resume you know like I said he knows your game but he also has high golf IQ as well and like you said you just he kept things light but can you think of any other instances I know there's probably tons of them but can you think of a time where like his advice or his uh, assistance really kind of changed the course of the direction for you at the U.S. Amateur? I mean, the whole week, he was just phenomenal as far as every shot. Uh, I'm usually kind of a guy, they just, in college events, just let me do whatever and just, you know, we'll see at the end, we'll take your scorecard. But when he walked with me, especially during the USAM, we just uh, discussed every shot. And, you know, the big thing out at Oakmont was lines and knowing where to miss. So he was always great about, you know, 
we, the, the numbers and, you know, miss left, right side of the hole, ideal putts and green reading. So he did, he pretty much did it all. And, um, so it was phenomenal just having that back up in my head, you know, the reassurance all week that he did so great. And, um, obviously, you know, having a player with all that experience in match play, just a few words of wisdom, just staying it, you know, and just keep leaning on him there, uh, especially out at Oakmont was big from him. So it was, uh, he pretty much did everything for me. There's not one thing I could say, you know, sure. I owe to Coach Elson. It's everything. He did uh, a phenomenal job. Was, uh, a, I mean, a great caddy. You know, I couldn't have uh, asked for anything better there that week. You go to the 36-hole final. Obviously, both you and Austin Greaser know that you've secured some very special things for your future. Um, you know, you, you get down – uh, you know, you have a, a great comeback on the back nine of the second round to, to ultimately win on the 17th hole. Uh, I think a lot of people that, that obviously watched, um, you know, watched it on TV, got to see the crowds, got to see the play. They pretty much know what happened there. So I don't think we need to, to review, uh, you know, the final match. Uh, you're the one at the end holding the trophy. Uh, the one very uh, special moment of that week for me, at least, was, you know, thankfully to... Uh, you know, the USGA and especially Robbie Zalsnick, I kind of got to peek behind the curtain, see what actually happens when a, a U.S. amateur champion uh, wins. And you are put through just an absolute car wash of uh, media. I, I mean, obviously you do your media. You, you you There's the trophy presentation for Golf Channel. There's the trophy presentation, uh, you know, for the club. There's pictures. Um, you know, very, very cool moment where they kind of had something for the members where the, the artist painted a, did a finger painting of you holding the trophy, which was incredible. Um, so there's all these great things and you're, you know, you're unwinding and you're, you're signing things. Um, one of the really cool things I noticed at the very end is that obviously we did this, uh, you know, we did this Instagram live session on the back of the range and I handed my phone to your to to you know Coach Ellis because I had to obviously go get another cocktail for myself. But you know Robbie is a marketing genius, and and he is part of the brain trust behind you know developing and, and obtaining all these unique items for the champion to sign. And that was a time I think you actually got to unwind a little bit, have have a Coors Light, have a you know a little bit of a break. What were some of the things that you had to sign? as a U.S. amateur champion at the end of the night? I mean, I know a few of them, but how many can you remember? Oh, man. I mean, it's uh, my hand went numb from signing all those things. I did not expect. I mean, I was in there for three and a half hours just signing things nonstop. So it was, uh, I mean, the weirdest objects ever. But, uh, I mean, you start off with the normal stuff, you know, the flags, right. um, you know, some hats. Uh, some of like the uh, just the programs for people who were spectating right. and um, all that basic stuff, and then it started going into cool items. Like he had uh, he had a hockey jersey, he had a, a baseball jersey from Pittsburgh, and then uh, I started signing. Then it went like completely off the rails. I signed a neon bar light that said Oakmont USAM. I was signing whiskey bottles, cans of beer. Um, Man, I can't even, there were so many things. I was like, well, I'm signing at this point, just trying to figure it out. But he's like, uh, just keep going. There's only a few more left. That was the quote of the night. Just keep going. There's only a few more left. I need to bring a pile of like 80 things. And then uh, like, all right, I'm done finally. But nope, we got about 80 more. I'm like, oh my gosh. So it was, uh, it was cool just signing all those random items. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was crazy, just the, the stuff. And um, like I said, there's so many things. It's tough to remember all of it, but uh, it was it was a cool experience being in there. And, um, you know, my signature going from pretty much not being worth anything to now uh, carrying some value. So it was weird having, uh, you know, going from signing, you know, golf balls for little kids once in a while, amateur events, to signing, you know, whiskey bottles and beer cans for people all across the country. You're uh, and and I'm guessing having very few letters in your first and last name was really a nice a, a nice treat at that moment. <laughs> it was. I mean, the only thing I regret though is I've never really worked on my signature, so people criticize me for it uh, not looking too good. So I don't know. I got to maybe develop a professional signature or something. You got plenty of time to figure that. You had a lot of fans at Oakmont with you, and a lot of friends. I'm sorry, you had a lot of friends at Oakmont with you, fans too. But but I'm kind of going in the direction of a lot of your friends, especially. I think I saw almost the entire men's and women's team from from Michigan State come down for the final, and they were there, and. As I said, I may or may not have had a, a cocktail or two that night. That was basically my last night of a month-long road trip of covering amateur <laughs> golf. So I was, I was done, and and you know I didn't have to sign anything. So it was a nice, refreshing evening for me. But I kept hearing about a place that you guys were going to be going to when you got back to campus. Um, what was the place you guys were talking about going to drink at or party at? Or there was something that had an acronym? Like, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Rick's Cafe. Okay. Rich Talk- American Cafe, yeah. Just going to Rick's or what, what RTR? What is that what it is? STR. Straight, straight to Rick's. Straight to Rick's. Straight to Rick's. One of the local favorite spots in East Lansing for college kids. Um, one of the bars on Grand River there, one of our main ones. So um, that's always kind of been one of the historical places in East Lansing. When uh, someone wins something big, they uh, take a trophy down to. There's um, there's a photo of Stanley Cup down there with uh, Tiger Woods actually holding it. He was playing in the Western M at the time. And uh, so that's, there's a pretty cool photo of that. And he's with Darius Rucker and a couple other big-name guys holding it. So it's like, photos like that so you're like all right you know what i want to you know go down there and bring uh have my trophy so uh oh no it may, did you it, do it may, it may have made its way to the yeah to the basement of rick's um i had my football buddies there with me and uh they love golf just as much as me so they were actually one of my buddies it was just hanging out of the trophy the whole night holding it like a baby pretty much like he did not let their thing out of his sight he's like I was like, no, no, I can always like, no, I got you, James. Like, you just do you, man. So he was like, he was more pumped to see the thing and hold it than I was almost. And it was uh, pretty funny that night having it down there and um, didn't break it or anything. Everything's in one piece. So it was a good night. Good. Yeah. Well, that, I'm, I'm guessing that's uh, uh, that's smart. Bring bring some guys in the football team with you when you want to go out and celebrate because uh, that, that's a good, that's that's a smart way to go. Um, I'm going to let you go. I know that you, uh, have to, you're on your way back to school and I guess I'll kind of, you know, obviously everyone's asking about, you know, what's next and you have to, you know, masters and all that stuff. And I guess as something as a takeaway for, for listeners, you know, due to COVID, you're able to return to East Lansing for a fifth year. And I look at lists of previous U.S. amateur champions and, and obviously they're thrust into the professional ranks right away. So they, they don't get a lot of time to enjoy the achievement. They're obviously thrown right into thinking about, okay, I have exemptions to to figure out, and I got an agent I got to deal. You know, they have all that adult 
you know, full-time job crap they got to worry about. How nice is it just to go back to school and be a college kid and just get this one year to actually enjoy the achievement and get a little bit back to normal? I'm guessing a, a writing – I mean, hell, you were just taking a test before we jumped on this call. How nice is it actually just to take a test? Yeah, it's. Uh, I hate to say it, but, yeah, the feeling of taking an exam is actually nice right now. Um, just being a normal college student going through the daily grind is uh, one of the things I actually love to do. I'm a, I'm a simple guy, so just being on the course, working out, and uh, doing schoolwork in a day is good enough for me to keep me happy. So, I mean, just being back in East Lansing after the whirlwind of the past, you know, month and a half has uh, been the coolest thing ever. And, um, you know, obviously there's always been some great opportunities presented with the U.S. Amateur, but... Um, just being a normal college student is uh, one of the few things I love. And uh, especially after last year with COVID feeling kind of like an incomplete year, it's a huge blessing to be back in East Lansing and uh, be a normal student. Uh, worry about my grade point average more so. I mean, my scoring average as well, but my grade point <laughs> average got to keep, got to keep mom happy. So See, um, smart absolutely. kid, man, you are polished, dude. You are so polished. That's perfect. <laughs> You can thank my parents for that, but yeah, my mom. No, my mom would kill me if I didn't have a good GPA. You can ask her, but uh, no, it's uh, it's been awesome being back, and uh, I love every second of college golf and being a college student. So I'm gonna enjoy uh, the last year while it lasts. I'm gonna see you at Wilmington for the Williams Cup. It's a UNC's tournament. They're uh, they're having a hell of a year too. I mean, they're number one in the country right now. But I'm gonna see you there. And, uh, you know, I know that you're a big fan of Coors Lights uh, occasionally here and there. And obviously, we're not going to be able to uh, uh, share one at that time because you're going to be playing in your collegiate event. But you mentioned autographs and signing things. Uh, I, I think I'm going to need to bring a six-pack of Coors Light and have you sign them. And I think some of my <laughs> listeners might need a unique souvenir. So I'm going to see if we can make that happen. Um, I appreciate the time. Congrats on, on the success. And uh, uh, obviously, many more great things coming your way. But uh, congrats to you, and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. And there you have it. Special thanks to James Pyatt, the 2021 U.S. Amateur Champion, for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the back of the range.